All right, so we are continuing the exposition of the book of Romans. And today we come to a passage, as I said earlier, today I'm preaching about preaching, okay, and the purpose of preaching, how that preaching is to be done, and what the hearer's responsibility is. All right, so if you are able, let us please stand for the reading of God's word. We're looking at Romans 10. Starting in verse 13, we're picking it up one verse from the one that we finished last time. The inerrant and authoritative word of God reads as follows. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? For faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word this morning would really draws to you because it is true, because it is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, as you claim yourself. And that sharpness cuts through our hearts. It cuts through our error. And it points us back to Christ. So, Holy Spirit, grant us this understanding of this importance of preaching and hearing your gospel. Lord, I ask that you give me the words to preach this morning. For apart from you and your Holy Spirit in me, I have nothing, Lord. I depend on you, Lord. Guard me from error. And Lord, for all of those that are here hearing, either in person or are hearing through a, a social media or later through the recording of this, may you grant their hearts to be able to hear what you are saying. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. So I titles today's sermon... Faith in Christ comes by hearing his word. Paul has told us in chapter 9, the majority of chapter 9, going into chapter 10, about God's sovereignty. Salvation belongs to God. God preordained salvation. All those things are true. Now, Paul has expressed his sadness for the nation of Israel, how they are lost. They are without Christ. They have rejected the gospel. And so Paul is going into an exposition of the responsibility of the hearer. When we hear the gospel, we are now guilty. We are responsible because we are left without excuse of his special revelation. Okay. Now, when we think of God being perfectly sovereign... It is true that he ordained salvation. Yet, let us not remember that the context in which we are reading Romans 9, Romans 10, and how Paul is explaining this, Paul is still charging Israel with 100% guilt of their rejection. There is not and will never be any room for someone to say, I wanted to come to Christ, but I was rejected. Never. 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 
So then, how can this change? How can we change paths of someone who needs to believe in Christ? How can we change course? In this case, for the people of Israel that Paul is so concerned about. Well, Paul proceeds by expressing the importance of preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. The only hope for the people of Israel that are lost, and for the world at large, for that matter, is the preaching of the gospel. So then, how are we to preach the gospel? There's a known quote, and I actually took the time to look a little bit further into for the purposes of, of today's introduction, and I have it here on the slide. A well-known quote. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. This quote is attributed to Francis of Assisi, or Assisi. And in our day, this is actually very common. If not these exact words, at least this very idea. That we need to be kind. We need to show mercy. We need to be charitable. Now, should we? Absolutely, we should. But this little thinking emoji I put there, my kids were laughing. Are you really going to put that on the sermon, Daddy? I was like, yeah, because we should think about this, right? Is this so? From the biography of uh, Francis, this person uh, that lived in the 1200s, this is what it states about him. I don't have it in the slide, but I'll quote it here. Quote, Francis of Assisi, one of the Catholic Church's most venerated and beloved saints, is known for his ministry to the poor and underprivileged, his care for nature and animals, and founder of the Franciscan Order. The Franciscan Order is basically a series of vows that a person will commit to live by, which include a life of poverty, basically, right? Charity, self-denial, and basically dedicated to religious living. Now, in itself, that's not bad. Like, that's good, right? I'm going to practice self-denial. I'm going to dedicate my life to charity. That is a noble cause. It actually really is. But the big question here is this. Is there anything ultimately wrong with a life dedicated to a religious cause, charity, frugal living, if we neglect the preaching of the gospel? And to that, yes, there's something very wrong if the preaching of the gospel of repentance is put to the side or is mingled with so that it's lowered and is put as an add-on. The preaching of the gospel should be the primary means. And from that, we show that we mean what we preach in the gospel because of what we do. Today, we're going to see what the scripture says about the proclamation of the true gospel. Now, when we think about the revelation God has given us, there's two types of revelation. That's general revelation. That's God's creation, his creation order. 
and it displays the majesty of the creator, of the designer, of the life giver. So general revelation tells everyone there is a God. There is someone who claims ownership of his creation, of his design. There is a God. That's what general revelation tells us. Now, special revelation tells us who that God of creation is. Who is going to take credit for everything that we see? Who is he? Does he demand anything of us? That only the scriptures can tell us. General revelation, special revelation. We need both. And as we think about our lives as Christians, we should also extend that in the following way. There's going to be general revelation about my life to others. That's going to be my character. That's going to be my good witness. That's going to be showing kindness, charity. Absolutely, general revelation. But there needs to be special revelation in our lives. A similar statement to the quote that I just gave you now about uh, Francis would be that we ought to be good people and good Christians so that others will come and ask us, hey, I want what you have. Please tell me. That's never going to happen. Sorry. Being realistic, that's just not going to happen. Now, it may, right? But that's the rare exception. We must preach the special revelation of the gospel. And the way we preach that is with, with words. The action is an outpouring to confirm that what we are preaching is correct and true. So then what's Paul Main's point that we're going to extract from this text? It is the following. If the gospel is not preached audibly, there will be no salvation. The gospel must be preached. Now today... There may be many recipients of charity, recipients of kindness from Christians. There would be treatment received by the general public in hospitals that were by and large started by Christians. But if all that is done and the gospel is not preached, there will be no salvation. So let us look at the first major header for today. Preaching and hearing. Pick it up from verse 13 and then verse 14. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call in him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So first, a quick look at verse 13. Last week we covered that. The fact that calling upon the name of Jesus will save a person. That entails a true confession, not a fake confession, not playing games. And that confession must be on the right, the correct Jesus. God Almighty himself in the flesh. So any shallow confession, meaning a not genuine confession, or calling upon a false Jesus will not save anyone. That's a recap there as we picked up from verse 13. Now, today, we're getting into the fact that someone cannot call upon the right Christ if the correct Christ is not presented to them. 
How are they going to call upon the name of, of the Lord, of Jesus, if they're not presented with who Jesus is? That's where we pick it up today. So first, let me tell you this. What is not the gospel? We already covered that showing kindness to someone is not the gospel. That is commendable. We should do it, but that's not the gospel. Even telling someone that God loves them is not the gospel. Even telling someone that God has a wonderful plan for their life is not the gospel. As a matter of fact, telling someone that God has a wonderful plan for their life in the eyes of the world, that's actually a lie. Because the life of a Christian is a life of self-denial. A life of being persecuted because of your beliefs, if you indeed believe in the right Christ. So that is not the gospel. God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance by faith in Christ. So those things are not the gospel. Kindness and telling people words that will perhaps encourage them and give them false hope. And the common denominator of an insufficient Christian witness when we speak to people generally falls in two categories. One is that there's no proclamation of the holiness of God and therefore of the sinfulness of the individual. We kind of want to soft pedal that. We don't really want to talk about God's holiness and how they are ruined in sin and headed for destruction. Nah, like that would be too harsh. I don't want to do that. But if we don't do that, there's no need for a savior. People will think, I'm actually okay. What need of a savior? There's none. So a watered down gospel, typical shortcoming of, of our witness. And secondly, we can have a correct proclamation of the gospel, but we have a ruined witness by the way we live. In other words, we can tell someone the true gospel, to repent, to believe. But my life, my personal life, has little to nothing to show for what I'm preaching. As a matter of fact, our witness could be so evil because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our disarray, that as the first pastor I said under, Pastor Raul here, I would say some of you may be better off not saying that you're a Christian. Because you're putting the name of the Lord to shame. A ruined witness. You may have, you may boast that you have the right gospel. But if your life doesn't show it, you have a ruined witness. As I often say, our sinful heart would be inclined to say, oh, I know some." No, you, look at yourself. How are you doing at home with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your extended family? Have you ruined your witness? If so, repent. Verse 14, so then says, how will they call upon him who they've not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So I did a little diagram here. There needs to be someone who is sent, right? I'm putting that verse and kind of going in the reverse order of how it should go so that it actually makes a little more sense. So one is sent, obviously a preacher in this case, or preachers. Then the preaching takes place. When the preaching of the true gospel is done, there are people who hear it. 
when the hearing of the word of God convicts the heart of someone, then there is believing. With that regenerate heart, a heart from stone turned into a heart of flesh, then that person will call upon the name of Christ. Okay? This cannot happen. We cannot get to that step by showing someone kindness. It's not going to happen. Okay? The scripture, if there was ever a formula, this is as close as we're going to get. Now, I'm not claiming it is a magical formula, but it is what the Bible tells us of how someone is going to call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. There needs to be preaching. There needs to be hearing. And in the context of the local church, I need to be clear in what I preach. That is my response. I'm going to be held to account. If I'm vague, if I give you a false gospel, I'm going to be accountable. Now, there used to be hearing. Each of you, if you are here today, you have, or if not, by the end of the sermon, you will have heard the full gospel. Now you are guilty, even more so than you were before. Okay? All these aspects need to be in place in order for someone to say, Lord, save me. Lord Jesus, save me. So let's take a quick look. There's a need to preach, okay, after the preacher is sent. It means that there needs to be an announcement, a heralding of, in such a way that when we proclaim the gospel, we need to incite a response from the hearers. The gospel is not friendly to the hearer. You may disagree with the gospel. You may be convicted by the gospel and seek the Lord, but you cannot be indifferent. Acts 5.42, what does it say? The need to preach, it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That was the content of their preaching. We're going to get a little bit more into what the content of an accurate Bible gospel presentation looks like as we talk about sharing the need to preach. We cannot be quiet. We need to preach. Then there's the need to hear. This is an exhortation to those that are listening to God's word. We'll take a quick look at two references here. Proverbs 16.20 Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good and blesses he who trusts in the Lord. Okay, so we are encouraged, exhorted to listen to the word, to consider to think about what it is that we're hearing when it comes to the Word of God. And then 2 Timothy 3.16. This is when we are reminded that all Scripture is God-breathed, right? And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So heeding, listening to the Word of God is what we need in order for us to be Correct in our thinking, in our thoughts, in our belief, in our faith, so that we can be righteous. It's the responsibility of the hearing. Now, true hearing of the Word of God takes humility. True hearing of the Word of God is not, oh yeah, I know. Or, nah, that's really not for me. 
true hearing of the gospel says, you know what, I don't know. Actually, I, I need to hear what the Lord is saying. And that takes humility. To admit that we don't have it all right, and that we need God's instruction. We need to hear God's word. And then, some hearers will be prompted to believe upon hearing God's word. Because God's word will convict when the word of God is accurately presented. That was the case of the Philippian jailer. I'm grabbing a lot of references from the book of Acts because the apostles were just in mass preaching the gospel. And we see a lot of what it is to be confronted with the true gospel. So when the Philippian jailer was confronted with the gospel that he heard from Paul and Silas, what did he say? Acts 16.30, it says, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, the preaching of the gospel requires a response from the hearer. What must I do to be saved? I'm in trouble. And then, upon that moving of the Holy Spirit that is regenerating the heart of a person, that person with a regenerate heart will call upon the name of the Lord. They will call on the name of Christ. And we go back to Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So hopefully we can see how that flow of how Paul is presenting it here looks like preach hear believe and call upon the name of Christ all right the second major header today is the call to preach specifically the call to preach Romans 10 15 and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news so who is called to preach Certainly part of the duty of, of pastoral duties is to preach, to teach. Certainly qualifications for anyone in a position of authority in the church should be able to give an accurate presentation of the gospel. In the context of the Lord's Day, we gather, we worship, and preaching is certainly the central part of it, absolutely. Absolutely. But it goes beyond that, my brothers and sisters. The call to preach is to all Christians. This is the Great Commission. The command of Christ of going into all the nations and preaching the gospel, it is not only for pastors. It is for all of us. So who's called to preach? The obvious is yes. Pastors, teachers, yes, absolutely. I want you to be reminded that the call to preach is also your calling, each one of you. It is for all Christians. This is the Great Commission. It starts by preaching the gospel to ourselves. We need to renew ourselves in the gospel daily. We are saved by grace through faith. Especially when we have failed, we are to remind ourselves of the gospel. And then share that gospel to our household those that are under our responsibility, and then to others. The call to preach is to all of us. 
and we are told this is a great blessing to those that preach the gospel. And we are to do that regardless of the results. Romans 10, 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Not all have obeyed. Are there examples in the scriptures of those that were faithfully presenting God's message and they got shot down? <laughs> yeah, it's full of examples, right? Accurately and faithfully heralding God's message and they were rejected. Just a few examples. Moses, as he was building the ark and he was warning the people of the judgment that was coming. I'm sorry, Noah. <laughs> my wife was saying Noah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I got my, my cables mixed up here in my notes. Sorry. That's why, more, that's why my wife is here. She corrects me. Noah was building the ark and he was warning the people of the judgment to come. By and large, what was the response? Yeah. Foolishness, right? Only his family was saved. The whole earth's population was wiped away. Right? Total rejection. Isaiah, which... The passage here is a quote from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, talking about Jesus. He tells us that people are going to reject Christ. Jeremiah rejected. Right? Even the, the New Testament makes reference multiple times that the very people of Israel rejected the prophets. The apostles, countless times that the gospel was preached, not only was there a rejection of their message, but there was actually riots with an attempt to kill them. And then, the greatest, pre the greatest preacher in human history, Jesus, God Almighty himself in the flesh, he preached. As a matter of fact, if you pay attention in the Gospels, Jesus in his own words, says that the reason why he came is to preach the gospel. Now, of course, he did miracles. Some believed, but most did not believe, even having Christ in front of them performing miracles. Most did not believe. The multitudes loved to receive blessings, food, healing, even wise instruction from Jesus. But most did not believe. We ought to be careful that just as the people that saw the miracles of Jesus, the people that were blessed by Jesus, they loved God's blessing, but they rejected Christ. Oftentimes, someone will make a profession of faith, but then they're frustrated that really nothing has changed. Why would that be? That could be many reasons, but many times it could be the case that 
in that proclamation of faith, what is really aimed at are only the blessings that come to those that love Christ. And that could be misconstrued by thinking, well, I'm going to have a better life. I'm going to be blessed, generally better living. Which is generally true, at least in, in the context of, of, our, of our lives, making wiser choices and whatnot. And someone can say, I, I want those blessings. I certainly don't want to be condemned in eternal judgment. But I don't want to submit to Christ as Lord. I love my sin too much. If somebody was really honest, that's what, that's what it would look like. So there's, in essence, a rejection of the gospel. We want to put the gospel aside, but let me, let me partake of the blessings. But I don't want the gospel, a rejection. Yet God's will will accomplish his purpose. Acts 13.48, it talks about this again, about when the gospel was being preached. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. So the word of God will not return void. That is true. Many times within Christian circles, that reference is used with the hope that somebody will eventually be converted. But that may not be true. God's purpose could be to harden someone in their sin, in the rejection of the truth, to further have zero excuse about their judgment. God's word will never return void, whether it is to save or to harden someone. And it is not because God did it, it is because they in their sin reject God's truth and they love their sin. Now the third header here, faith in Christ comes by hearing his word. This is the title of the sermon, right? So it's come around to that very theme there. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The examples of hearing the gospel that produces true repentance are a way in which can, we can see God's work, right? I've, I've been blessed to see the gospel being preached and proclaimed or somebody, someone being evangelized and then later seeing some great fruit that God has done in the life of such people. And we can see examples of that in scripture. Specifically, one that should catch our attention is the content of Peter's preaching when he was explaining what Pentecost meant. That's in Acts chapter 2. And I don't have it in the notes, but I'll review what, what the content of Peter's preaching looked like. Okay, so Peter was called to go preach. He was preaching. Okay, so we're at that phase. Peter preached. Let's see what he preached about. Okay, I'll summarize it for you. This is out of Acts chapter 2. If you want to be like the Bereans, go and check so that what I'm saying is true. So Peter said this, he said that what they were seeing at Pentecost was what was prophesied in the Old Testament, according to the prophet Joel. Okay, so Peter is saying this is this shouldn't be new to you guys. This is what God has been saying all along. 
The Holy Spirit is active. Okay, that's one of the main points that Peter preached. So God's word is inspired and it's coming to us now. So he quotes from Joel chapter 2 and he actually quotes the very verse that is also quoted in Romans 10. Namely, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter quotes that. Okay? So we start to see a pattern here. He's not preaching that you must do works. He's preaching whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Repentance, faith in Christ. Call upon his name. And then Peter gets down to it and he presents the hearers with the fact that they are guilty of sin before God. Specifically, they are guilty of putting Christ, putting Jesus to death upon a cross. He confronts them with a fact. And then Peter makes a proclamation of who Jesus is. He tells them he is God in the flesh, lived a perfect life. He was crucified by them. He died. He was buried and he resurrected. Okay, so Peter's presenting the gospel to the hearers. He's telling them that Jesus is the Messiah, that that's the means that God has provided for their salvation. Okay? God has provided this Messiah, Jesus, in no uncertain terms, in order to be the Savior. And, had, and that God had provided that as a prophecy ahead of time. And then Peter also tells them that they are witnesses and that there are additional witnesses alive at that very time of the resurrection. So in other words, the resurrection is verifiable. If you doubt that what Peter was telling them, if, if they doubted, they could have gone and found out whether it was true that Jesus had resurrected. Okay? So the proclamation of Jesus as Lord and Christ, as God in flesh that was sent in order to forgive people of their sins. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And that unless they call upon his name, they will die in their sin. They will be condemned because they are sinful without any hope other than calling upon, upon Christ. Okay? So there it is. Remember that little chart I showed? Peter was sent. He was preaching. The content of his preaching. And then there was hearing. Okay, so what happened? Upon that preaching, it produced a response from the hearers. What is it? Now let's get to it. I do have this in the notes. Acts 2, 37 and 38a. It says, Now when they heard this, the summary I just gave you, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay? Repent and be baptized. He's like, well, we'll talk about it another day. You know, we'll have a follow No, repent. Repent of sin. So then listening, hearing God's word, Produces a response upon those that the Holy Spirit moves. Okay? Now, why is that? 
The reason is because the Word of God is powerful and it is inspired and the words of Scripture are the very words of God. Listening to God's Word, hearing, preaching accurately, expositing the Scriptures is hearing the words of God. This is why it says in verse 17 that hearing through the word of Christ, it is actually the word of Christ, literally. I'll show you. There's many instances in scripture when an author is quoting from another book of the Bible and the author says, instead of saying Moses wrote or Isaiah says, sometimes they do that, but there are specific times in which they said, God said. So if it's written as scripture, the Bible tells us that God said, God spoke it. The example I'll give you is in Hebrews 1, verse 6. It says this, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, God the Father brought Jesus into the world, as the firstborn, he says, Let God's angels worship him. God the Father sends God the Son, and angels are to worship him. Now, that in itself is a massive truth of great importance. But what I'm focusing here is the following. This passage is a quote from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and it's telling us not the scripture says, which is true, right, or not Moses said, but it's actually saying God says. Right? It says, He says, talking about God the Father. God says. So if scripture says it, God says it. If we're being told that we are saved by listening to the word of Christ, when we teach scriptures faithfully and accurately, you are listening to the very words of God through the instrument that is the preacher or through the instrument that is the faithful Christian sharing the word of God with his neighbor. The very word of God. So we're at that point, right? Someone said, it's preaching. There's someone who hears. But not all that hear are converted. The hearer. The practical aspect of that is that someone living in disobedience, not listening to the word of Christ, not listening to the admonitions of Scripture, they're going to have times of sure enjoyment of sin, but ultimately... And in the long run, it's going to be a life of miserable, miserable lifestyle because of the disobedience to God. And that's just a practical aspect of it. There's something much greater, which is the spiritual consequence of it. And it's eternal condemnation, being lost eternally. Hebrews 3, 7 and 8, which is a quote from Psalm 95, says the following, Therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So this is a call for us, for you today, that the very words of God are being presented to you. The words of Christ have been preached to you today. Do not harden your heart. You are 100% liable for rejecting his word. In the practical aspect of it, you're going to be miserable in your disobedience. 
you're going to reap the consequences of that here in this world. But even more so, you will reap the eternal consequences of being eternally lost. Do not harden your heart hearing. And if we are hearing the word, even as believers, let us repent. Let us turn from our sin, from our disobedience. And if some of you are for the first time having the conviction that, wow, I don't think I'm saved. Well, be like the Philippian jailer. Be like the people that responded to Peter's sermon. Like, what must I do to be saved? Which would have gotten us to the very last step. Call upon the name of Christ. You can do none else. Call upon the name of Christ and he will save you. You will not go to Christ and be rejected. Never. Call upon the name of Christ. All right, so what are some final thoughts and applications here? I've given some already, but let's look at final three like we usually do. One is, there will be no one that can say, well, I can't believe because fill in the blank. Because I'm not appointed to eternal life. Or because, you know, it just really doesn't make sense. No. My friend, you have no excuse. The reason you don't believe on Christ is because you love your sin. That's the bottom line. John chapter 3 says so. You don't come to the light because you love the darkness. Never once did Jesus turn away those that came to him. And when Jesus was here physically, note this, the kindness, the mercy of Jesus. He didn't turn anyone away that came to him for healing or for food, knowing that they would reject him. Not once did Jesus turn him away. How much more will he never turn away someone who comes to him in repentance for salvation? Let us turn from our sin and turn to Christ. Secondly, who is called to preach? I want to double emphasize this again, right? Because it is not only my call as, as a pastor teacher to accurately represent the gospel, but it is also your responsibility to preach the gospel. And you must use words. You must articulate the gospel. Otherwise, people will not believe. And those people that you are caring for by showing them mercy and charity and kindness, they will go to hell. They will go to hell with a, with a shirt on their back and, and a full belly. They will go to hell. There's no salvation if you don't preach the gospel to them. They must repent. And then thirdly, a personal question to you. Are you hearing? Are you hearing? Our natural impulse is, well, I want to give my two cents. I wouldn't know. Just shut up. Are you hearing? Are you hearing God's word? We need to listen. We need to stop and we need to listen to what God is saying. And if our response is, oh, I already know, that's a that means you don't know, because we can never stop learning what God is teaching us. As we hear, as we pause and listen and, and reflect upon the word of God and the word of Christ, we are blessed with saving faith, whether it is by the first time in hearing the gospel, or we are also blessed 
by having our faith persevere. Okay, where else are we going to go for encouragement during difficulty and trials and tribulations? If you stop and you hear the word of God, it's going to give you the encouragement, the wisdom, the strength that you need to endure. Are you hearing? By God's grace, may that answer be yes, and I need to listen more. Or maybe for some of us, is I'm actually not listening, and I need to. So with that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for it draws us to you and corrects our thinking. May your word, may the proclamation of your gospel give us humility to know that we don't have it all together, that we need repentance of sin, either for salvation or for our sanctification. Lord, allow us to be courageous to preach the gospel first to ourselves, to our household, to our families, to those around us, so that we may accurately represent you and be faithful to your calling of preaching your gospel, and so that others may be saved through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.